0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, December 19th, 2022. I am John Podhorts, the editor of Commentary Magazine, asking you, as we are now in the midst of Hanukkah, and we are days away from Christmas, and we are days away from New Year's, or 11, 12 days from New Year's, to consider adding commentary to your list when you are thinking about your annual giving. Commentary is a 501c3 nonprofit And to keep doing what we're doing to present you with this podcast, to present you with the magazine, to present you with the website, we need your help and support. That is how we keep the lights on and how we keep being here day after day. We do and do for you people, as David Letterman once said. And every now and then I ask you to provide your support, and I would be really, really grateful if you responded favorably and if you do so please go to commentary.org slash donate to do so and with me as always executive editor abe greenwald hi abe hi john media commentary columnist and american enterprise institute fellow christine rosen hi christine hi john and associate editor and author of the rise of the new puritans noah rothman hi noah hi john so uh the uh, the border crisis uh, is now has is reaching levels so acute that a Sunday morning chat show on television uh, this week with George Stephanopoulos devoted most of its running time to the border. Uh, and an interview with Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, and interviews with people at the border and the like. Uh, apparently, now that the election is over, you can no longer hide the fact that the border uh we are just things are completely out of control at the border and this um in astonishingly Uh, anyway so uh christine bring bring us up to speed (laughs) on the border
1: Sure. Well, uh, on Friday, which a lot of again, Friday news dump, um, a federal appeals court uh, said that the covid related policy known as Title 42 that was actually started under Trump's uh, the Trump administration is going to end on December 21st on Wednesday. Now, this is unless the Supreme Court intervenes, um, but that's. I think most people assume not likely. Um, This is something Title 42's removal uh, and expiration was something that immigration advocates have been arguing for. It it allowed the administration to invoke COVID as a reason to just turn people away, send them back across the border uh, because of the public health emergency. Uh, It is worth noting, again, the irony of the Biden administration not being too worried about a COVID-related policy ending if it helps... uh, the immigration it, people come across the border uh, often illegally uh, but there's still a crisis if you're talking about student loan debt so there again the, the, this uh, this is an ongoing contradiction in administration policy. But the real problem here is that this leads. This is going to lead to more influx, more asylum seekers, and the border has already been a longstanding uh, crisis. So one of the things that the Biden administration has been effectively doing is preventing local officials from trying to declare any sorts of emergencies as long as Title 42 was enacted. They could, they could turn people away. And the mayor of El Paso, uh, who's named Oscar Leiser, issued an emergency declaration. When he found out the title 42 was likely to expire so you now have officials at the local level declaring an emergency that that for a very long time both the administration and certainly its allies in the media have long sought to portray as just not that big a deal well it is long been a big deal we we know that conservative media has been covering this for a while but what the end of title 42 means is that the border is going to evidently be open again, as, as the Biden administration officials like to say. Now, look, a lot of the people coming across the border are from countries where they might have a legitimate asylum complaint, political asylum, other things. But the crisis right now is that we do not have an infrastructure in place at the border to track and to uh, process these asylum requests. And so what we've had are a lot of contacts with people coming across the border who then are released and disappear and that's the last we hear of them and we've had lots of people coming across the border in the last few years who fit that who fit that description. So this is this is this ongoing crisis. I it remains to be seen what the Biden administration is going to say and do about it. But uh this does change things a bit and as and as you saw John during that report, there there were asylum seekers from Cuba, from other places who all know that this is about to expire and that this means that it, it will be easier to come to the border.
2: It's not just border towns. New York City's mayor Eric Adams sounded the alarm yesterday. But at a statement saying the city is not prepared for Title 42 to expire, the shelter system is full, we're out of money, we're out of staff, we're out of space. They've had all of 31,000 migrants this year since the spring, um, and they're putting a lot of blame on Greg Abbott for shipping a grand total of 3,000 migrants from the border to New York City and highlighting the uh, the disparities of enforcement at the border and elsewhere in in the United States, but this isn't just a Republican problem. It's not just a border problem. His own allies are saying we can't stop doing this, which makes it sound like it shouldn't be a COVID policy, right? Because it's not a COVID policy anymore.
3: Yeah, uh, Gavin Newsom's also complaining, right? Uh, saying that California can't absorb any more of this and they're going to be overrun. It's it's a weird. It's it's like uh, that thing when the 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 saying about how'd you go poor. Uh, slowly, than all at once. It's yeah. like uh, every, everyone was happy to sort of watch this happen until now.
0: You know, I've often said on this podcast and elsewhere that I am I am as dovish as a matter of sort of emotion and history and intellect and uh, and and family history and all of that on on immigration as you can possibly be. But one thing has always caught me up short when I was in debates with people about this, say over the last twenty years. Which is um, when uh, they say, but, you know, look, we're a nation of laws. There are these laws about how immigration goes. And you're essentially saying that in this one area of law, there should be uh, an acceptance that there is sort of mass disobedience and and, and, and lax enforcement. And how can you how can you stand with that? (laughs) And it's a very interesting point. I don't there is no argument. Against the idea that illegal immigration is illegal, and you can change the wording and you can call you can you can come up with some semantic <laughs> you know, way of denying that the immigrants are in the country illegally um and that therefore they're not immigrants in the classic sense, but uh, uh, you can deny it, but it's true. and we face now this situation in which basically, Many, many, many decades of a a world in which it was understood everywhere that if you just get in, if you just get in and get across, uh, you were likely to be able to stay in the United States for the rest of your life. And the word, just like everything else in the world, uh, the internet age and all of that makes it so that any message, any the, the fact of this is now transmissible immediately and instantaneously everywhere at any point to anybody, such that on this broadcast yesterday on ABC, uh, these migrants who were interviewed by the ABC reporter at the border all knew about Title 42. They knew its ins and outs. They knew when it was going to expire. They knew, you know, that since it was a COVID era restriction, it was coming to an end, and maybe they could, you know, They could, uh, the remain in place policy wasn't, wasn't going to stand and all of that. And so basically, um, the entire country is outmatched. Uh, it's like, if you you have, you have these pressure points and you have hundreds of thousands of people who are pushing against a wall that doesn't even exist, they're going to break through the wall and and the sheer numbers will overwhelm the system i don't have an answer nobody really has an answer and the as it happens the trump solutions which were the first time remember trump not only not only attempted to you know sort of stop illegal immigration but he radically reduced the numbers of legal migrants or people who could come into the country over the 4 years how did that work out? It didn't work out. It's that's that that's that's dumbass stupid policy based on hostility to the very notion of letting people into the United States, um, and nothing is working. So this uh, the remain in the remain in Mexico policy didn't really work all that well either. By the way.
1: Well, but so that, that is
2: that. Yeah, but, go ahead. But, but
1: this is why the Biden administration actually does need to, to proactively say what its plan is and what and and if not, I mean, look, Congress needs to deal with this. But the reason the Biden administration likes to stay silent on anything related to the border is that they were happy to continue the Title 42 policy because at least it was a break that they didn't have to. They could say, well, it's covid. We're just going to extend it. We love illegal immigration, but, you know, we just this is all we can do in, in this crisis point. Well, now it's time. They can't kick that can down the road anymore. They've got to deal with it. The other issue here is it's not just about people seeking asylum who might get turned away um, unfairly. It's not just about people sneaking across the border hoping to stay here illegally. There's a massive drug crisis going on at our border and a lot of fentanyl and being smuggled in via Mexican cartels that are highly organized and using our poorest southern border to to bring a lot of stuff in that's very bad for everyone in this country. So there are security and and health and safety issues with regard to the border that have nothing to do with whatever new policies we need to devise but it is time and and i think you know with a divided congress and an administration that likes to look the other way. Anytime the border crisis comes up, it's unlikely to happen in the next uh, session of Congress. But this is something that I think both Republicans and Democrats, the ones who care about immigration, have been beating the drum on. So we'll see if Biden actually has a response. I'm not hopeful because he he tends to ignore this. But this is going to be a major election issue if it, if it continues uh, in the way it has before in the political stunts and all the stuff we've talked about in the past.
2: Doesn't this fall into Kamala Harris's portfolio? She was. tapped.
1: She's a, she's worried about root causes. Noah. That's right. I mean, yeah, the actual in. border policies are a little complicated for Kamala. She's well, really s- concerned about it.
2: that was her staff, if I recall correctly. She yeah. was in March of 21. She was tapped to be you know, the root cause person. Yeah. Go down to Central America and figure out what the push factors were and then try to address them there rather than actually enforcing the border. But if I remember right, it was her staff pushing back on this, knowing that this was just abuse of this poor woman giving her this Gordian knot that she was not going to make any progress on. And then they were, they were totally. saying she was just a border czar, not really mm-hmm. in charge of anything serious, just kind of like doing a lot of talking. But nevertheless, I mean, to take the administration at face value, this is this is part of her expansive portfolio of you know irresolvable conundrums.
1: Well, and it could be an opportunity for her if she was a different sort of political figure to actually start speaking out on this, to kind of be the person in the administration who comes up and, and floats creative solutions. I mean, Congress would still have to enact them. So she, even if they fail, at least she said something, but she is not a politician. Believe, she doesn't right? believe
0: doesn't yeah, believe She comes from a sanctuary and state. This is the yeah. ultimate. We have this ultimate problem, which is that the Democratic Party has all but explicitly in its materials and the way it handles this issue become a pure total open borders party. And then you have the Republican Party in response, which now doesn't even like legal immigration. So once again, you have this like almost astounding level of polarization on this issue that makes any kind of compromise all but impossible, as far as I can tell, because Republicans want the number to be zero, and Democrats don't want there to be a number. Democrats have made this terrible category error of believing that activists with vowels at the end of their names represent the opinion of uh, the rank and file people who are, you know, nominally considered Hispanic and that the activists uh, think it's the more the merrier also because it gives them you know, safety and power in numbers. And um, one of the reasons for the Republican surge in, you know, Latino communities is precisely that a lot of second, third, fourth generation Hispanics do not feel connected to these migrants and do not want things being done in their name that have nothing to do with them and do have this simple... Fact, which is why this is such a potent issue for Republicans and why it's so dangerous for Democrats. There's just an elementary, there's a line, and everybody understands that you have to stand in line and get, take your number and wait your turn and all of that. And all of that is just broken down here. And it's not fair. It's not fair to the people who have been waiting in line, it's not fair to the people who do work hard and play by the rules and try to obey the legal system of the united states which they wish to join they are they are disempowered and they are you know they essentially have this one of the american political parties is effectively discriminating against them for following the rules yeah and and so it's not fair to these overwhelmingly um
3: Latino uh, uh, legal immigrants. I mean, they're 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 the ones that are looking upon this and saying, "What, what do you do? You're you know, what, what are you doing? You're getting in front of me here." The the part of the um, the 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 problem with it being so polarized, such a polarized issue at this point, also is that um, as long as you have the Republicans now sort of dead set against uh, any immigration, as you say, as far as the press is concerned, there is no border problem right because because the 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 republicans care about it the the only border problem is that um republicans want policies that will be mean to people at the border that's 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 the problem that you can
1: right kids in cages right right. kids in cages
0: listen if you are an editor at a major news organization including at abc or cbs or nbc or whatever The disincentive to cover this in the way that you're talking about is very large. Like, you don't have an association of, you know, Hispanics and Latinos that is going to support you if you do, you know, a tough story on border enforcement. You do have activist groups that are going to yell at you, request meetings, are going to try to organize people on your staff to say that these stories are hostile and monstrous. You know, inside MSNBC, you know, you have Jacob Soboroff, who is basically just a kind of, you know, open borders activist, you know, uh, weeping deep crocodile tears over the kids in cages and conveniently forgetting the kids in cages during the Obama administration and presumably whatever the kids in cages are during the Biden administration. And the kids in cages, by the way, one of the most offensive, one of the most offensive uh propagandistic formulations. The reason that this was how people were being held was to deal with the fact that it is hot in Texas and that it's the summer. And what you don't want to do is have people in enclosed spaces if you need to hold them temporarily and make sure that they don't run off. But you don't want to put them in buildings where it's going to be monstrously oh. hot.
1: And worse than that, they were pictures from the Obama era. That they were often using, claiming they were from the Trump era. And this policy has continued under Biden, and we haven't seen any of the same thing. So it was so, it was such blatant hypocrisy on the part of the news media that reported this as some sort of uniquely it's the settlement. thing.
2: It's the Flores settlement right. that requires the detention of minors uh, for brief periods while you process their For parents. their safety, for you, their
1: own for, safety.
2: Before yeah. you reunite. Right, exactly. Exactly. It was what was offensive about the Trump administration was, was um, John Kelly, who was at the time DHS head, saying that this policy, which had been in place, is in place requires congressional re- remedy to not be in place was going to be punitive was going to be used right. as a deterrent measure when it wasn't a deterrent it never functioned as a deterrent and it was somehow going to be used in a in a fashion that was not just complying with the law reluctantly which is kind of the tone you probably should take but it was just going it was going to be a, a a way to punish people who were coming across the border which was offensive and wrong yes, frankly then exactly. it had the desired effect the the desire was to rally up you know rally their side against this this issue and and rile up the left and you know it had its intended effect it was it was a silly and rather crass thing to say at the time but it wasn't a legal it wasn't a new legal policy
0: it was but you have to say that one of the one of the reasons one of the unintended unintended consequences of america being a compassionate nation in this regard is that there is no deterrent effect From, you know, uh in a world in which you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people attempting to get into the country illegally, what's your deterrent against this wave of people? So if you transmit the idea, and it wasn't just it wasn't just Kelly, Jeff Sessions did it when he was attorney general. You you try to scare people from not coming. It's like, if you come, we will take your children from you. If you come, we will do this, we'll do that. Like don't come now you can understand why that is it, it is offensive to the you know is it offensive to anybody's you know emotional spirit and it is a it is an offense against the whole n- notion of how the united states functions but um as a desperation play you can sort of understand without it what do you have what's the what's the risk what's the threat to the people who come across the border illegally the only threat or risk is the journey that they make or the possibility that they will be turned away again but if they will be turned away and therefore every all the hardship that they experienced getting to the border was for nothing but if the theory is if enough of us come at once and there are a million people waiting at the border we can burst through. they they can't process us in time. We will just simply, you know take get on that bridge to El Paso and cross that bridge and how are they going to stop us? they're gonna shoot us? We'll just you know, I mean, we'll be under the bridge and then we'll swim across the river like how, however it is you want to slice it like so you I feel like we can sort of understand why the deterrent idea, was seductive and attractive to these guys who also obviously don't really care about the issue. Uh, and I, that's why this is so intractable a problem. It's like a lot of these mores and it's like, what if you test them, you know, if you test a law, uh, if there is a mass disobedience of the law, then you have a real crisis because laws are partially there because people follow them and don't say I'm not going to follow them. Like, what do you do? How do you how do you how do you enforce how do you enforce a law when you are you have five thousand cops at the border and a million people and they can't shoot? You know, you you,
3: can't.
1: Well, you know, even
0: even Obama said, uh, don't
3: send your kids. Don't. say so we can't yeah. keep track of them. Terrible things happen to them. God knows if they'll get back, if they'll survive, if they'll be kidnapped. Don't send your kids to, to to the border. I mean, so.
1: Yeah, but now that's that the message now from the Democrats is so far to the left of even that responsible messaging. Now it's no human being is illegal. Like, it's just so it's so much like a sign that someone puts in their yard to virtue signal rather than any sort of semblance of thoughtfulness for the safety and well-being of the people who might be trying to come over here. Like, a lot of these people die. They die in the desert. They die drowning. Their children die. It's horrifying and we obviously need to do something but the idea that we should just have an open border you cannot countries don't have open borders not i mean this is not this has been a long-standing problem in europe it's been a this is something that i think we've we've we want to feel good about ourselves as a nation and the kind of nation we are. And we are a nation of immigrants. All of us are, on this podcast are come from immigrants who came here often in desperate times uh, looking for freedom and opportunity. But you have to have a policy in place that allows for people to take their turn to come in when they need to uh, and, and not, as you say, John, the rule of law exists for a reason and challenging it without any sort of pushback from elected officials who say, you know what, you can't, this is not the way to do it. And you're not hearing that from the Democrats now. And I think, it's again, it's a huge opportunity for Republicans who actually want to do something responsible, but they too are beholden, unfortunately, to their kind of crazy right wing on this matter.
0: I mean, I think it's important that you invoke the rule of law because that goes to what I was talking about, which is that the rule of law is only effective when people accept its legitimacy. And the problem with a circumstance like this is Certain types of messages, like you know, just shoot them when they're coming across the border, will start sounding weirdly attractive to people because the rule of law itself seems to have broken down. And what what it what what is there besides the rule of law? There's just sort of naked aggression or naked or you know yeah or frontier justice like. Frontier justice is what you have before you have the rule of law, because there's no way there's no agreed upon standards. And if we have a you know generations long system of scoff lawery, the idea that rule of law at least at least in this realm um, has broken down and that something else more um, elemental needs to come into play will be more and more attractive. As time goes on. Now, the American people in polling continue to be positively um, disposed toward immigration, not just legal immigration. I mean, they believe that immigrants are a net positive to the country. Like in the 60s, the polling numbers are in the 60s consistently, that it's a good thing Immigrants work hard. they you know, they do jobs other people won't do. They do that, blah, blah blah. like all of that. This is not something where if we follow public opinion and if you have rational uh, policy ideas, the public will not support the public will support them because they also like law and they don't think you should break the law and all of that. as I say, the part this is part of the brokenness of our political system that, That this this is where the center is, and almost no politician inhabits the center, which is we've got to figure out some way to stop this wave of illegality, and we also have to figure out a way to be welcoming to the people that we should welcome.
2: Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat
0: when running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations. Let me give you one, like somebody comes to you and says, person doesn't bathe, smells horrible. Like, wh- how how do you handle that? How do you talk to such a person and keep comedy in the, in the workplace? You better talk to Bambi. Uh, with Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month, available by phone, email, and real-time chat. So onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. They Look, an HR manager could cost your company 80 grand a year. Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. And type in Commentary Magazine under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com. Bambi dot com. Type in Commentary Magazine. So <clears throat> we're apparently going to have. No, what's the story? How is the January 6th stuff going to work this week?
2: Um, <clears throat> today, Monday, they're having their last hearing, as I understand it. Uh, And they're going to be issuing their final report, which we can all pour through, I think also later today, and issuing a set of recommendations for the Justice Department, most uh, of uh, most analysis of which preliminary analysis of which suggests there will be uh, criminal and civil referrals uh, involving the president, maybe some people around the president to the Justice Department.
0: So uh, we're yeah we're told that uh, there may be as many as three recommended referrals to the Justice Department against Donald Trump personally for his involvement in the January sixth insurrection.
2: Those being obstruction of official proceedings of Congress, conspiracy to defraud the United States, and insurrection.
0: So, how dismissible is this as a as simply as uh, politics? Do you think or? Here, here's what we have. We have the way that this has gone since the January sixth committee was established. I think I referred to it the other week as the as the uh, Obi Wan Kenobi play, which is, you know, you come after me, but the more if you come after me, the more I will be strong. You know, if you strike me down, I shall be stronger than you can ever believe. And that has been oh, they're do they're pulled terrible. You know, they're having this committee and they're having these hearings and. You'll see people are going to think it's just so unfair, and they're just, like, going after Trump and all this. And I think that attitude is demented. I think Trump has really been hurt and degrade – you know, Trump's position among people who aren't that – who aren't in love with him has been vastly degraded.
1: Well, and Uh, and and we're going to –
0: Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say we're
1: just and we're going to get the details when they're reported. I mean, this is what's interesting. Right. So we've heard you know, we heard some testimony. People didn't follow it granularly, but there's going to be, I assume, a lot more heft. And uh, background and documentation in the report about things like witness tampering, about pressure campaigns on the people who who were who were called before the committee and just all of the ways in which all of the reminders of how Trump does business, whether as a businessman or as a politician or as a post president, like everything about Trump that, as you say, John, people don't need reminding of right before the holiday season is going to be right out there to see again.
2: Well, the question that John asked was how much of this is attributable to politics? And even what we've been privy to, this is the third, no, sorry, eighth or ninth January 6th committee hearing. And if you've followed all of them, as I have, a fairly granular level, level I think you could attribute political motives to not issuing a referral to the Justice Department regarding obstruction of Congress, for example, certainly conspiracy to defraud the United States government. Insurrection, very debatable, high threshold of evidence there required for something like that. Um, I think you could say that that's perhaps politics going against the president. It would be politics in the president's favor had they not issued these recommendations because they would be making political considerations in the process of not issuing those referrals. They would be destabilizing to the American political compact. They might help Trump more than hurt Trump. Those are all political considerations um, outside the purview of the Justice Department. So, Abe, where
0: do you come down on this? It hurts him or it helps him. You know. He's in this obviously very – Trump is in this very um, complicated moment for him as his poll numbers have clearly cratered among Republicans. And now even in polls where people are asked the open-end question, who do they want to be the Republican nominee in 2024? Open-ended, meaning they're not given a list of names to choose from. They are choosing DeSantis. The last – this poll that was happened last week had DeSantis up by 12 that's a pretty staggering fact like you know and Pence wasn't even sort of anywhere in there so we DeSantis has clearly moved into poll position among rank and file Republicans who are being you know who who are being reached by poll you know which means that they're being reached randomly he is not in good shape right now where this is going does this trigger a an autonomic defense response among republicans where they go um, oh they're they're after him again just let neglig- him alone
3: a negligible one but the thing about the the um the the, the crisis that whereby republicans now feel constantly victimized um is that it's it's endlessly repurposable so you don't have you don't have to come to to trump's the the, the stop to steal is is so old you you can repurpose the same sentiment um uh in all sorts of ways uh you the same goes for the paranoia you know you can you can there are new conspiracy theories to latch on there are there are new wrongs uh to be avenged and i think there's a there's a Big degree of boredom with with uh, uh, even among those who had been sympathetic on the right. They're they're sort of bored with with Trump's brand of that.
2: There's kind of some evidence for that in in what Carrie Lake is doing. Right. So Carrie, Carrie Lake's out there now saying she she identifies as an election denier. This is a clip that I came across the other day. Her pronouns are That's I great. and one.
1: <laughs> it's so I mean, obnoxious and stupid. <laughs> it's so
2: obnoxious and so provocative and just like really ham fisted chewing the scenery. To a degree that, like, is just kind of generating eye rolls. I mean, obviously, Carrie Lake is no Trump just by virtue of her stature, not her performance art, which I think I I maintain she's pretty good at. A lot of people disagree. But But nevertheless, the message isn't finding a lot of takers. It's not generating the enthusiasm that you would expect it to if this was really a rallying cry for the modern Republican Party.
1: So so my kids and I every year have the the Christmas what are Christmas classic movies in our household that we watch. And so last night we kicked off our 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 viewing with uh National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, an amazing movie. And I swear to God, Trump is becoming Eddie, the weird brother who shows up in his tenement on wheels, you know, RV and like just inserts himself into what would otherwise be a sort of nice family gathering. And I feel like Trump that Trump and his folks are getting that reception more and more from people, not from the media, which wants to continue to to give oxygen to his you know crazy which is because it's good for democrats and good for the media but i i totally agree the carrie lake thing i actually just laughed out loud when i saw that i mean and she's obviously doing she's actually doing the Stacey abrams grift right she's got a website there that you can go and give her money so now she's going to raise money for her for her you know supposedly stolen election so i mean this is now becoming i guess a kind of offshoot political grift that both democrats and republicans will now embrace after every election to torture um, the
2: metaphor, he's. Trump is emptying the RV's sewage system.
1: Yes, <laughs> into our, exactly into <laughs> our national sewer. Perfect. Cl- Close. <laughs>
2: yeah, in a in a poorly closed robe.
1: There we go, <laughs> smoking a cigar while drinking a Making beer. A cigar. In the
2: yes, waving the eggnog at us.
1: Good old Randy.
0: It is a it is a it is a great movie. Anyway, the uh, um, I was just thinking. Now I'm going to be self referential and talk about my my piece. Uh, geopocalypse now in the current issue of commentary available at commentary.org, because I I throw out this idea of three concentric circles, that at the core, you have the Trump base, the people who don't mind him shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue. Uh, And obviously, they will be enraged and furious and disgusted and hysterical about whatever the January 6th commission issues today and then you have the second circle which is the republican base which threw in its lot with trump and then you have the third and much larger circle which is the republican party as a whole people who are much less politically engaged are, are republican voters because they you know fundamentally agree with the general tenor of the republican approach um and don't like liberalism and all of that but uh, but but uh, seem to be the people who Either uh, withdrew from their affection for Trump, or never really had that much to begin with, but were fine with him, or whatever. And the question then goes to how the the these circles will respond to January six, because the as I, the, the 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 gut instinct will be the liberals are coming after him with the media, and you know, and the and the rhinos, uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, and they're all just going at him, and you know, he he is the guy on the nft with the laser lasers coming out of his eyes and he will he you know he must prevail but i just don't know if that if those two larger circles the the republican base and the uh, and the the base and the republican party as a whole won't go just enough already like we've had enough and what's more some of this is disturbing (laughs) some of it now, if they overreach, if if the tone of the report is, you know, like Eric Swalwell, and is, you know, you know what he was insurrectionary, and uh, let's, I'm just gonna Russia. Let me just bring in Russia in here. Just the, the you know, there was also there's still many unexamined questions about the about him being a spy for Russia. Like, if that happens, I don't know, I don't know. But if the report maintains the tone that the January 6th Committee has struck the entire way. Um, which again, I think people on the right have underestimated as a really clever, it was a very brilliantly staged thing that they did. The way these hearings were structured, the way they laid out the evidence, the fact that they that they each hearing had its own theme and through line so that it wasn't just different people getting up and yelling and screaming at witnesses or, you know, complaining, but that they were all sort of on the same page, laying something out that was coherent and credible. Um If the report is like that, I don't know, it could be very, da- it could really be another nail in Trump's, co- it could be a very serious series of nails going into Trump's political coffin. And then apparently there's other stuff coming out this week on the tax case and things like that. Like, it's just, you know, it's not good. Things are not good for him. And and I, the notion that they're going to be good for him because he's being exposed as somebody who might be indicted for crimes by the Justice Department, still don't want your person to be indicted by the Justice Department. I'm sorry, all things being equal, he doesn't want to be indicted and his own people shouldn't want him indicted. Like martyrology, you don't want to be a martyr. Well, you're and a martyr it's, it's, unwillingly.
1: It's easy to be a martyr when the threat is vague or still just a threat, but once you're part of the legal process, it becomes a lot more difficult to play the martyr when there you actually have to, you know, produce documentation for your side of the argument or to appear before a judge. I mean, that's where he always gets into trouble. Right. Let's uh, let's
0: let's take a break and uh, hear from our friends at Fire. Do you know only one in three Americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why fire is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. the foundation for individual rights and expression, or fire knows free speech makes free people fire. Will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. Okay, so we're uh, going to say goodbye until tomorrow because we are this week uh, taping special holiday content for the Christmas week that we have to do immediately after each podcast this week. And so we're going to be a little shorter this week and we're going to have these short podcasts next week for your listening pleasure. So we'll be back tomorrow for Abe Noah, and Christine. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.